Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. The word of the Lord comes to us today from John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. After this, there was a Jewish festival, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, in the north city wall, is a pool with the Aramaic name Bethsaida. It had five covered porches, and a crowd of people who were sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed sat there. A certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, knowing that he had already been there a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I don't have anyone who can put me in the water when it is stirred up. When I'm trying to get it, someone else has gotten ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Immediately the man was well, and he picked up his mat and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. May God bless our understanding of this scripture. Good morning, Urban Village. How's everybody? Did you have a good Christmas? Amen. We've got a great story today with a lot of interesting turns and twists, and I want us to get to it very quickly as soon as I can get my glasses out. But first, let's pray. Can we do that? Most gracious God, we ask that you bring your spirit to life in this word today. Without your spirit, it's just letters on a page. Without your guidance, the preacher is just a speaker. Without your inspiration and your love and your, the quickening of your spirit, the listener is just an audience. Transform these moments that we have together into something that will feed us and challenge us, comfort us, and give us strength for the journey. We cannot make it by ourselves. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So earlier this month, just about the time that Donald Trump kind of let loose with his campaign to ban Muslims from America, something truly monumental happened in the Middle East. Saudi women went to the polls for the first time. For the first time in their history, not only did they vote, but they also ran for office, and 20 Saudi women were elected to, uh, to office. It was phenomenal. It was the kind of thing that was so historic that you would have thought we would have all been dancing in the streets. Do you realize what this symbolizes? 
It is a huge blow to patriarchy. It's a huge blow to misogyny. It's a huge blow to sexism. But most of all, and where we should have got on this train, was what happened in Saudi Arabia directly contradicts the kind of rampant religious extremism that's got the world so twisted up in knots and has got us all pitched in fear. It was the biggest anti-ISIS moment we have yet seen. But we didn't get it. We didn't get it because we were all focused on the wild ramblings of a real estate developer with delusions of grandeur. And as my buddy Reverend Aldo Small says, in that moment, we missed our shout. We missed our shout about two or three, about two weeks ago, when the University of Chicago Medical Center announced it was going to build a level one trauma center on its own campus, just down the street from us. After years of just systemic indifference to the least in our community, after years of arrogantly turning its back on the south side of Chicago, there were a bunch of preachers and clergy members and students and concerned citizens who got together and said, this needs to change. And we know this story because we're part of it. How many of you all at some point or another got involved in the fight for the trauma center? We were all part of it. And as I look back on my involvement, which was fairly limited, when I look back on the clergy breakfasts I attended, when I look back on the different, oh, we, all, we had a million prayer breakfasts, prayer breakfasts and clergy meetings and all sorts of other gatherings and prayer vigils, never once did I hear anybody ever say, if we can make this happen. It was always when and how soon? When and how soon? And all of a sudden, we had come through all these compromises, and all of a sudden, we were sure that, well, we're going to get a trauma center. It's not going to be what we idealize, but we'll just settle. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a couple weeks ago, UFC says, we're going to build it in our hospital. And it was a moment that deserved shouting. But we missed it because we were so overwhelmed in what was going on with all the police corruption, with all of the crime that's happening on the other side of the law in our city, that we missed this opportunity to stand up and say, look, there's change. Something great has happened among us. We missed our shout. Both stories are worth shouting about because they show what happens when we refuse to get stranded in seemingly hopeless situations. Both stories demonstrate why sitting around waiting for something to happen is not the answer. When we do that, we become immobilized. And the only way to break out of the dead zones that trap us is to get up and to get moving. Only way out. For 38 years, the man in today's story, this paralyzed man, has missed his shout. He's been trapped in a dead zone, waiting for something to happen. For 38 years, he has spent every waking moment staring at a pool of water that, according to legend, has healing powers. For 38 years, probably all of his adult life, he has, spent, he has pinned his hope on one big if. If he sees the water move, and if he can be the first one to get into the pool, he'll be healed. Now, let's think about that for a moment. The man can't move. 
One more. The man can't move. And he has pinned all of his hope on something that requires him to move. Not only just to move, but to move more quickly than anybody else. And you wonder about that. It's just a crazy dilemma. Fred Craddock summarizes his dilemma like this. Imagine all the false starts and cold plunges on days when brisk winds give the effect of an angel's visit to the pool. And suppose an angel did trouble the water. Who would be the first to enter? The paralyzed or the severely crippled? Of course not. In other words, this man is in a situation where he's got to be healthy in order to get healed. What's up with that? How's that even supposed to work? It's an absurd idea. It's a total non-starter. And so when Jesus steps into this pool and he says, do you want to get well? The man is so twisted up that his reply is devastating. Instead of saying, yes, can you help me? I want to get well. He starts making excuses. Oh, if only I had somebody who could just help me get in the water. If I, you know, I almost get there and somebody scoops me. He doesn't say yes. In fact, if you go back and read the story, he never tells Jesus he wants to get well. Not once. And so what he's done is he is absolutely taking the blame for, his, for the failure that he has experienced for 38 years. And as a result, this man is not just, he's just not paralyzed in his body. He is paralyzed in his spirit. Can you imagine 38 years? You can't take your water off the pool. What if you look away for just a second? That could be the second. 38 years. That's all he's known. The Seda now is supposed to be this place of miracles. It's a religious site. And so as it's set up, though, in such a way that the people who need the miracles the worst are the least likely to receive them. Raymond Weistrom, a, a biblical uh, study scholar from Canada, hits the nail on the head about what's going on with this man's condition. He says he is the victim of a cruel and vicious religious tradition. He has been taught somewhere along the way that there's a miracle that's going to happen to him if he just allows himself to linger in a place that is not designed for his good. The help that he needs, this man needs, is standing right in front of him. But he can't see it because all he has known is failure. For 38 years, he has been staring down at the water, not looking up to see what might be possible. Is there life beyond this pool? No, he's just been staring down at the water. He's been waiting for a miracle based on conditions he can't possibly meet. And for 38 years, nothing has changed. We don't know anything else about this man except those two facts that John gives us. He has been at the pool for 38 years and he's paralyzed. But we understand him. Do we not? We understand this man. Because we also know what it's like to feel so powerless that you get upset, obsessed with all kinds of absurd hopes and far-fetched dreams where you hang on to the slimmest hope because you cannot get yourself moving to reach towards something that's more substantial. How often, how often do we languish in dysfunctional relationships believing if we just hold out long enough, if we just hold out long enough, something will miraculously get better. 
How many times do we let cruel and vicious religious traditions cripple us with demands we can't possibly meet? How many times do we get fixated on magical thinking when the help we need is right in front of us? It's hard for us to have these conversations because they, these questions are uncomfortable. When you're paralyzed, your first thought is always to blame yourself. I can't move. Or your limitations. I can't do what everybody else can do. And consequently, we begin to make these excuses, these if-onlys. If only I were healthier. If only I didn't have these challenges. If only I had been you know, born with better genes. We all know the whole excuse. We all have these if-onlys in our lives that put us by these pools, these dysfunctional places that are actually stacked against us. And rather than look around and go, what the heck is going on here? You know, Because we have those thoughts. You get there and you go, like, this is really not a good place for me. You don't? Have you ever had them? I'm in a dysfunctional relationship, and it's like, this person means me no good. But if I just hang out, maybe they'll love me. Hmm? How many of us get on jobs where it's like, you know what, this job is really, this is a dead end. But you know what, it's a job, so I'm just going to keep the job. I'm not going to look for anything else. And then we wonder why we're miserable and why some of us take guns to work and kill people, right? It's those kinds of situations. It's those kinds of situations we get in where we allow ourselves to be told what we should be doing instead of listening to what our needs are and getting out. This man is part of a cruel tradition. We are parts of cruel traditions, not just religious ones. There are cruelties in our lives, and we obey them as opposed to going, this is not healthy. This is not where I want to be. And so consequently, we begin to get in this situation where we forget that there's something more going on here. There's a secret hidden in this story, and we need to understand it. We need to understand that we are not the problem. We are not the problem. Our limitations are not the problem. The pool is the problem. The pool is what's got this thing jacked up. The pool is what's told us what we have to do in order to, do, to get healed, to get to benefit, to be blessed. You've got to do all these things. And we sit there and we languish by the pool waiting, just waiting for something to happen to get better. Am I making sense this morning? The pool is the problem. And when we, we, we get this idea in our head that something completely outside of us has to occur for us to be free. And so we wait and we wait and we blame our limitations and we blame ourselves when the real problem is what we're sitting around, what we're putting ourselves through. Well, it seems that, okay, well, maybe back up, it seems the pool does work for a few people. The man claims to have seen it work. But it clearly doesn't work for everyone because John tells us there's a crowd of people who were sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed sitting there at the pool. These folks are all in the same boat as the paralyzed man. You got sick folks who are too weak to take the plunge, but they're sitting by the pool. You got blind folks who can't even see the water to know if it moves but they're sitting by the pool. You've got lame folks and paralyzed folks who've got no ability to move of their own accord, but they're sitting by the pool. 
When you look at that, what's brought them together? It's the pool, and the pool is the problem. Later scribes who copied John's gospel realized there was a problem in this story because it's like, now what is going on here with this water? This water's moving. How's going on? Who's, there's some missing information there, and so they added it. If you were watching a little closely during the reading of the scripture, and it doesn't matter if you weren't, our text jumped from verse 3 to verse 5. The text went from here. And a crowd of people who were sick, blind, and lame, and paralyzed sat there, and a certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. Verse 4 doesn't get added until later additions. And all of a sudden, it comes along, and it's going to try to explain what's going on in the water. Somebody got a bright idea, and they inserted a theory. And, the ver- and when we add verse 4... What we get is sometimes an angel would come down to the pool and stir up the water. Then the first one going into the water after it had been stirred up was cured of any sickness. Huh? Where did this come from? It doesn't come from the original writer. And the person who decided they were going to kind of fix things only made them worse. Kind of happens like that when you get folks kind of messing around with scripture. They never make it better. (laughs) The addition of the angel only complicates this story. It makes God sound fickle. If God's just sitting around in heaven and spots an angel with nothing to do and says, hey, you, why don't you hop on down to the pool of Bethesda? Let's stir up the water and see who gets healed. Now, does that even sound like the God we serve? It doesn't sound like God to me. But worse still, if you limit the healing to the best and the brightest, the strongest and the healthiest, you've got God God favoring the strongest. That doesn't square with the God we know. From Genesis to Revelation, the God we see in Scripture favors the poor, favors the sick, favors the weak, favors the oppressed. We know this list. Why is God all of a sudden in Bethsaida, in Bethsaida hanging out with the strong people? Why is God giving the A students, the, you know, saying, come on down to the front of the class, the rest of y'all, y'all funkin'? Because that's essentially what's going on. It is, there is a ridiculous standard that's being said. How is God in the middle of this? This is not my God. This is not the God I know. This angel business, I don't know what any of this is. This story was so confusing to theologians that for centuries, a lot of them refused to even regard it as a miracle story. They thought of it as a parable because there was no way to explain this pool problem, this angel problem. It didn't make sense. How, is, how can God come in and stir up the water and only one person gets healed? Doesn't make sense. And they got the mystery solved in 1964 when archaeologists finished uncovering the pool of Bethesda. And you know what they discovered? The Pool of Bethesda is a pagan site. It is what's called an Asclepion, named for the god Asclepius, the Greek god of healing. And all of a sudden, you look what's going on there, and what's happening all of a sudden does square with the personality of a Greek god. Greek gods are fickle. Greek gods play favorites. Greek gods only run with the best and the brightest. So all of a sudden, what we are at is we are at a pagan pilgrimage site, and Jesus is talking to a man who probably has no direct experience with the God of Israel, the Almighty God, the God above all gods. 
He just knows God's to be like this one. Okay, come, you can come play in my yard. And guess what? If you're the first one in, I'll let you get healed. That makes sense in the kind of vain attitudes that you see in Greek deities. It doesn't make sense to the God that Jesus knows. Am I making sense? So what happens is this man does not realize who he's talking to. That's why he doesn't answer the question. He doesn't know who he's talking to. He is, thinks he's having a conversation with the tourist that's dropped by to see what's going on. He's having an encounter with the divine. But he doesn't even know it. Jesus goes to the pool because the people there are suffering. And they're not just suffering in their bodies and they're not just suffering in their spirits. They're suffering from the delusions that, it, that they'll find healing in a place that mocks them and withholds from them the healing that they want. In this environment of futility, Jesus becomes a disruptive presence. He demonstrates what divine grace and power look like. Because see, when God moves in our lives, it's never based on our ability. God's movement in our life is based on our need. It's never based on how worthy we are. Are we worthy of being blessed? It's based on grace that blesses us in spite of our lack of worthiness. It's never about how strong or smart we are. It's always about the incomparable power and strength of our God. It's a totally different thing. It's in the, instead of trying to get in the pool and prove that you're worth it. God's just like, sit back, I got this. I got this. And that's why Jesus cuts to the chase and says, do you want to get well? Something about this man touches Jesus deeply. He recognizes the man is the victim of a cruel, illogical myth that denies the very hope it claims to offer. Recognizing he's confused, Jesus doesn't even wait for an answer. He commands the man to get up, pick up his bed, and walk. The man doesn't even consent. There's not, after do you want to get healed, doesn't get answered. That's all right, we're going to take care of this anyway. Get up, pick up your bed and walk. And immediately the man is made well. He walks away from the pool and its fickle promises. He walks away from 38 years of defeat and disappointment. In fact, we find out later on that he hightails it out of that pool so fast that when people say, who did this to you? He's like, I don't even know the guy's name. I don't even know who it was. Honest, I don't. He just came and told me to get up and I got up. That's the way it worked. Can you imagine how long he has been saying, if I can just get healed, I can get out of here? Can I just, if I can just get healed, I can get out of here. Listen, folks, we're leaving 2015 and it's time for us to look back and realize what these pools are that are in our lives. These things that have got us mired, these things that have got us wishing for something so magical or something so powerful or something so outside of ourselves that we will sit there day after day after day after day and we will make excuses and we will do all sorts of things to justify the reason why we are not up and moving. We will do that. It's human nature to do it. As I was thinking about, oh, how many different kinds of pools and examples I could cite, I thought, oh my God, some of us, we hold our pools in our hands. Some of us can't get up long enough to put down the phone and start texting all over the world to find out what's going on. Am I lying? Listen, some of us, our, our pools are our televisions. If we can't, we can't leave the house, can't leave the house until we've seen every Game of Thrones there is. 
and watched all until all the you know the Walking Dead are over and all the shows about the Walking Dead are over. You know, I don't know what we think's supposed to happen there, but we're not walking, we're not moving, we're sitting. And that's not what we're called to do. We need to get away from these pools that are holding us captive with these vain promises and impossible demands. And we need to name what's holding us. What are we clinging to? Are we clinging to fantasies that sap our strength? Are we crippled by religious traditions that promise freedom but deny the wholeness that we need? Are we held hostage by unhealthy relationships and situations, hoping something will change just to make them better? I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would guess every one of us has a relationship like that in our lives. If it's not a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it's a mama or a daddy or an auntie, neighbor, you're always going to have folks in your life that are not going to wish you well. And they're always going, but then somebody's always going to say, just hang in there with them, baby. It's going to be all right. They don't suffer. The folks that don't mean you well don't suffer. So why would you submit to that? Why would you keep watching the water for the change? Is that healthy? Is that productive? How much of our lives are we willing to waste beside these pools offering up if only this and if only that when the help we need is standing right in front of us, looking at us and saying, do you want to get well? The miracle isn't in the pool. It was never in the pool. It's never going to be in the pool. The miracle is in us and in our decision to do as Christ says, to get up and walk, leaving behind our pools with all their false hopes and their foolish notions. So I want us to pray together that 2016 becomes our year when we erase, if only, from our vocabulary. Maybe realize that the stirring that needs to happen doesn't ha- isn't going to happen in the water. It needs to happen in us. Because our poolside days, they need to be over. It's time for these poolside days to be over. The miracles that we've been waiting on can happen today. They can happen right now when we stand up on our own and we say enough is enough. I'm not wasting one more minute sitting around hoping for something that's never going to happen. The pool is the problem. We're not the problem. Our limitations aren't the problem. The pool is the problem. The miracle waiting to happen resides in us. We have missed our shout far too long. I'm going to say it one more time just because it felt good to say it. (laughs) We have missed our shout far too long, staring at water, stuck with nobody to help us. And the minute all Jesus is saying to us is, do you want to get well? He won't even wait for us to answer. Just get up. Get up. Pick up that bed and walk. We need to hear that today. So I would say to us that for 2016, the resolution is a realization. It's time to get up, and it's time to get moving. Don't miss your shout. Don't miss your shout. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, we see you right in front of us. And you have found us in the places where we are most crippled, most immobilized, most intimidated, most confused. And we have all sorts of things we could tell you. But we're just going to be still. We're going to listen to you. The answer is, do you want to? The answer to do you want to get well is, oh God, yes. Yes, I have sat here too long. And now we listen to you and you say, just get on up. It'll be hard for us, God. A lot of us don't do getting up very well. But just keep at us. We invite you just to keep at us. Anytime it looks like we want to sit back down, just come after us again. We're looking for great change in the coming year. We're looking for freedom. We're looking for wholeness and we're looking for healing. And we know that you hold all of that for us. So bless us, be with us as we close one year and bring in another. And we'll give you the praise for all that we will become when we say yes to you. Amen.